This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. This is the Fast Break Podcast. I am Sean Anderson. Alongside me is Ricky Wimmer. Hey, guys. How's it going? And uh, we're Daveless today. Dave did not show up. Uh, Dave's, Dave's doing some work. Dave's, Dave's doing... We, he had a reasoning. It's cool. All right. We, we, Dave might be showing up next Are week. Are we cool? Are we cool? Dave, we'll see. Dave might be showing up <laughs> next week. So hopefully Dave shows up. We got a great podcast for you. We're going to look at the Chad Ford Mock Draft 6.0. We're, ta- we're talking Kobe, too. We got to talk Kobe. I mean, that's 60-point oh. performance. Oh, I was like, I was hoping for overtime. I was yeah. praying for overtime so that he could get 65. Well, the one thing you told me was that Skip Bayless said if he scored 65 points. It wasn't points, Skip, it was Woody Page. Oh, Woody yeah, Page. Woody Page, which if, makes it better. Yeah, If Woody, if uh, Kobe Bryant scored 65 in that, mm-hmm. he would have a career average of 35 points per game, which would have made me as just a, you know, a, a stat freak. Yeah. So happy! I love <laughs> a clean I love thirty five for the career. Love even numbers, and then we're finally gonna wrap it up with the coaching vacancies. You know, you got George Carl getting fired. You got Minnesota mm-hmm. Minnesota getting rid of their head coach. Possibly Houston being uh, available if they get rid of JB Bickerstaff. Apparently, they're interested in Thibodeau and Brooks. So we'll see what that's gonna happen over in those situations. Let's jump right into the mock draft because these usually run long. People, we usually yeah. go about thirty minutes on the mock drafts. And the one thing I will say before we get into it is. We had some comments the last time asking if we could take the link to the Chad Ford mock draft and put it down below. We will do that. The only thing I'm going to tell you is you're not going to be able to see the whole mock draft if you're not an NBA insider, though, because that's how NBA or ESPN does their NBA draft. So we'll do our best to give you the best visual representation yeah. of why you know why this why we're, the Chad Ford thinks this guy's going to go where. Uh-huh. Uh, but we can't give the full mock draft because it's not our mock draft, and we 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 can't give out that content for free. Uh, but we're going to jump right in. We covered the Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram talk, and I think you know he he has Ben Simmons going number one to the, the Philadelphia 76ers, and he has Ingram going two to the Lakers. I think it's basically set that Simmons is going number one to the 76ers because of the Sam Hinkie firing. I think it, it's it's hard to say that. Colangelo's are not going to take Ben Simmons. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if the Colangelo hinky difference really changes who the Sixers take at number one. And of course, we got to get to the lottery because mm-hmm. there's a chance the Sixers might not get the number one. I mean, come on, the Bulls have a chance at the number one, people. The Bulls have a chance a to get the number percent. one. We had a 0.8% when we got Derrick Rose. Anything is possible. Thank you, KG. But the thing is, it's just. <laughs> I can see why Simmons would now be the pick mm-hmm. with Hinky being out, but there's a possibility they could see Brandon Ingram and go, you know what? He's still the guy. He's the guy we take number one. Well, I'm looking at Ben Simmons, and he's he's clearly the best player in the draft. I mean, it, to me, he's clearly the best player. The thing I was going with Ingram, though, is he's a better fit for your system. He's mm-hmm. better fit with Okafor. He's a better fit with Embiid, better fit with Noel. So I'm thinking, all right, this guy's going to fit in perfectly with them. And, you know, the, the, the potential difference isn't too too much different between Simmons and Ingram because, yeah. you, you, you know, the potential for Simmons is LeBron Jr., those, you know, the potential for Ingram is KD Jr. I mean, those guys are pretty neck yeah. and neck. Little baby um, brown brown. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's hard to say, like, you know, one guy's potential is greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons is clearly the best player right now. And I think, you know, Colangelo's are looking and, like, all right, we want to bring – we want people in the seats and we want, want to go to the playoffs. And they're thinking Ben Simmons will take them. And I really can't blame him for that. But we'll move on from that because I think we've exhausted those topics for. Well, we've talked about it. We have a full podcast yeah. on whether <laughs> Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram that 
I mean, it's month. It's a, like a month old, but it's still relevant. And if you check out any of the other Chad Ford reactions, we probably talked about the Ben yeah. Simmons branding thing before. But we're going to jump on to uh, actually the fifth pick is where we want to really focus in on is the Minnesota Timberwolves. He has Henry Ellison, from, the freshman from Marquette, going to the Timberwolves and really saying, you know, because they need a stretch four ne- next to Towns, that's why the reason they're going to go with uh, Ellison there. But my question, and I think you were you're on the same page with uh-huh. me, is should they go with a guard? I think they should, and the reason why is unless you're going to get a guy, I mean, Diang down low along with uh, Pekovic, you've kind of got the five spot. Like, out of your front court, that's the one that has the most, like, question marks. I'm using mm-hmm. air quotes because Carl Anthony Towns is your four. Wiggins and Shabazz can be your three. Zach Levine and Ricky Rubio However, I'm more on the side, and I know that I've personally exhausted this topic, but I'm going to bring it up again. Timberwolves got to go Buddy Heel at five. They do, because I think what you do if you're the Timberwolves, you take Heel at five, you move Zach over to the one, you say, you know what, Rubio? It's been nice, but get the fuck out of town. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you that they should go a guard. I don't know if they should go Buddy exactly because, you know, if you want a true point guard, then maybe you go Chris Dunn. And if you want a you know a, a better shooter and he's still there, then maybe you go Jamal Murray. Uh, but it really depends on what kind of player do you want. Do you want a true point guard or do you mm-hmm. want a shooter? Obviously, if Mur- Murray's off the board, then you're taking healed because he's the second best well, I mean, shooting guard in the league. Right now, the consensus is that Jamal Murray's going to go first and Buddy yeah. Heal will be the one that's available there. I just say, hey, you saw what he can do all this past season. You saw him light it up in the tournament. I know he had a bad game. Well, that whole team had a bad game against Villanova. But you've seen what this kid can do. And this young team that the Timberwolves have has the potential to be even better if they take a guard like Buddy Heal. And the thing that my mock drive is coming up soon, my my, my 3.0, yep. and I, I do have Jamal Murray actually falling to five, which is a, a complete steal for the Timberwolves, and that's why I would say they would go with a guard. And I, I think Dieng actually fits at the five, and you can play mm-hmm. Cat at the four, because if you looked at him, I think he did pretty well at the four this year. Oh, I, think, I think Rookie of the yeah. Year honors, because it's all oh, his. It's, no, oh, no landslide, contest. Landslide no victory for Cat for there. I mean, Porzingis was great, but I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, mm-hmm. by far the best rookie this year. And I think he works at the four. You, you keep Wiggins at the three. You either keep Levine at shooting guard, and then you draft Chris Dunn and then trade Rubio, or you, you move Levine over to the point guard, and then you play you know a Heald or a Murray at the shooting guard. I, th- I just think it's hard to say, you know, Ellison's great. I, I think Ellison can be fantastic, mm-hmm. but, you know, him and Carolina Anthony Towns are not similar players, but, you know, because obviously Carolina Anthony Towns is way better than, than Ellison, but, I mean... You know, Carl Anthony Towns just has the defensive side over him. Other than that, they both have range and shooting. They're both decent down low. Oh, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is more decent, but, you know, Ellison's good down low, and, you know, they're both great rebounders. So I think that it's it's hard to just put the basically the same player down low, mm-hmm. where Diang, Diang's longer, he's taller, he's, he can, he can, he's a great rebounder, good shot blocker. So you want that defensive side there, and you can rely on Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, Levine, and a healed to do your scoring where, you know, Diang can sit under the board and or sit under the glass and grab rebounds all day. So I think that Diang fits with the Timberwolves' vision, especially since he's 26 or younger. Well, the one thing I want to touch on is when you said the main decision of healed to done, and here's the decision that needs to be made 
by the Timberwolves. It's way above my pay grade, but I'm going to try to make the decision anyway. It could be your pay grade. It They're looking be. for a GM. They, they are. I mean, I, I can do it. I, I'd be cheaper than everybody else <laughs> that is going to do it. I just want a living wage is what I as want. As long as you have Trade Finder from 2K. Yeah, as long as I have Trade Finder from 2K, I can do anything. <laughs> but the decision between Heal and Dunn, what you need to look at is they're two totally different players. Buddy Heald's more of the shooter, not really going to slash and cut to the rim. He's the pure shooter. Chris Dunn is the guy, slasher, quick with the ball, not really going to stand there and just take a jump up three. He's going to be a guy who tries, the point guard that tries to get to the rim. The big thing is, how does each one fit into the Timberwolves system? And the way I see it, Chris Dunn, it's nice to be able to get to the rim, but you already have a player like that in Zach Levine. So Levine can be the guy to get to the rim, get him going in transition, and Buddy Heel can be the guy, hey, I'm going to stand there, and Levine, if you go in and it's there, kick it out to me, boom, three-pointer, it's in. It's fair enough. I mean, I I, I see why you think that. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously healed, you know, second best shooter in, in this draft, in my in my or opinion. Murray, or Jamal Murray. Well, yeah, well, Either Murray, one of Mur- them if they're there. Murray's one for me, and but then I just healed's say, too. I just think if you're the Timberwolves, you have to go with a guard. You have to go with a guard with your pick because, I mean, the Henry Ellison thing, I kind of went back and went, what? Why? Like, why? I mean, I, I can see it. I mean, it all depends on if you're going to keep Ricky Rubio then, yeah, sure, go with a forward that you think can be good off the bench for when Wiggins or Towns has to come out. But well, I mean, Ellison would be in the starting lineup. You, he could. You slide Cat to the five, and you put Ellison okay, at the four. that works too. Yeah, but, so. I mean, the one thing that I just think of is, do you really have to go with another big when you can just say, hey, fuck it, let's go with the best perimeter shooter that we saw this March. And, and I, I think that's the main place where the, the Timberwolves need to improve because Wiggins doesn't have the best three-point shot. Uh-huh. Levine doesn't, isn't a killer from three. You know, Counts is a, a, able to shoot from out there, but you're not going to plant him out there because he's need, better down low. You need that sharpshooter three-point assassin if you're the T-Wolves. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there. And, the you know, I, I, I think we're in agreement there that the Timberwolves should go with the guard. But the real big story of late has been... Thonmaker, the kid from Australia slash Canada. The kid that needs two to three years. The kid that needs two to three years, apparently, in your mind. Uh, the mixtape sensation. Uh, Chad Ford has him going 26. What do you think about that spot? He's going 26 to the Philadelphia 76ers. Do you think that's you know fair to say that like Thonmaker's going late? I like the team because the Sixers are a team where they've got a ton of youth. You've even said it in past mock drafts. Right now, they kind of have a plethora of bigs that they kind of have to. I think anyone can realize that. You got Sarich, you got Noel, you got Embiid, you got but Okafor. That, but that could be good for Thon Maker mm-hmm. because, I mean, and the reason why, I mean, before we started talking about Thon, I say that the two to three years, I'm going to put it again in the description, but there was that article from SI where they talked to. NBA scouts, executives, um, just across the spectrum of people in the league. And when every single one of them is saying two to three years, oh, he needs to develop. Oh, he needs to do this. Oh, he needs a few years here to develop his game. He's a guy that I'm not going to, I'm not going to want to risk early on in the draft because when I see that, I go, you know what? 
I don't know if I can take the number five pick to have this guy develop when I need a big guy to step in right away. The Sixers have a plethora of bigs. He can kind of sit back, kind of let this whole Colangelo vision come to form now that Hinky's gone and develop into probably the five of the future, maybe the four of the future for the 76ers. See, but the thing with that is Thonmaker's a ton of potential, and I think that, you know, 26 is pretty, you know, insulting kind of. I mean, you know, I, I agree that he needs to put on weight. I agree that he needs to get stronger down low. But you look at the kid's potential. You watch the, his kid, the, the kid's game, and, I mean, there's some moments where you're like, why is this kid even playing basketball? Like, he's throwing passes out of bounds. He's losing the ball and dri- trying to mm-hmm. dribble as a seven-footer. When he actually does it and he capitalizes and he's shooting from three and he's driving low, spin-moving from the elbow, going in and then throwing slam dunks, I mean, it's ridiculous what the potential this kid has. And I think if you're if you're a team like, I don't know, you say Memphis at 17 and you're looking and you're like, oh, I'm going to take down you know, Sabonis there, I think you got to look at Thon Maker. I think, you know, if you're looking at any team from, you know, 17 up or 17 to nine really mm-hmm. if you're looking at you know you look at toronto toronto's a playoff team they can wait for thon maker to develop you look at the bucks you know thon maker if you put him in the starting lineup right now he's probably going to get torched on defense but if you look put him in the starting lineup you got giannis at point you got jabari parker at the four or three you got chris middleton you got greg monroe that's very athletic offense mm-hmm. and you could just you know he can basically be covered there as because he's kind of like a DeAndre Jordan like if he's close to the basket he's going to make a shot so I mean really he can be cutting to the basket he can be you know around the hoop just trying to put back shots I think he could be effective there and then if you look at Orlando I mean the athleticism between him and Gordon that's ridiculous and you can wait because Vucevic is still there you have Gordon playing the four I mean you can let him develop there I mean, Utah is young. Phoenix has a lot of picks. Phoenix might take Bender, so him and Bender, uh, Maker and Bender might be able to develop. Bulls, no, because uh, you'll kill me if I say he's going to the Bulls. But even Denver, Boston, and even Memphis, I think you know he's going to go 9 through 17. Or If he does really well in the combine, I think he's going to jump up. I think the potential that is written over this kid is too hot for people to piss. But too, too hot for people to pass, not piss. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, it'll piss people off if he goes so high. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you're taking scale at 16, I think you can take a risk on Maker because I think you know I, they're they're both a ton of potential there. And if you're able to take scale, who played in college and didn't impress at all, you can take Maker, who's impressed through high school and maybe even yeah. Be but able how to much impress. do you take into consideration then the game that Thon and Scale? Played against each other. That was Scale a year ago. Just fucking dominated. It was them. a year ago. The well, thing, they didn't play a game against each other. They were doing one-on-one yeah, drills. The they, thing, they never played a full game. The thing that worries me about the whole Thon Maker thing, and I've said it like two seconds ago. First, number one is when executives and scouts. And, yeah, but you can also make your own opinion yeah, you know, up. You can watch the game. When and people, be, when people that watch the game for a living and pay more and actually like go to the events that. You, that scouts go to and pay more attention than I can do in my regular everyday life, I kind of look at that and go, okay, we may be on to something. And I'm going to bring out some names. And these names that I'm bringing out are from 07 to 09 of guys that yet again, and this is this goes into the to combat the debate about potential because you could say a guy has all the potential in the world but the thing about potential is we do not know what somebody's going to do with that 
potential. There have been guys like 2007. Greg Oden goes number one overall. Injury problems. Doesn't pan out. But injury problems. He You, you could see the visual injury problems because his legs wait, were wait, shorter. Uh, one uh, leg was uh, shorter uh, than the other. Uh, let me talk. Okay. 2008, Michael Beasley, supposed to be a big heavy hit for the Miami Heat. Yeah, I know he's tearing, th- after going to China and tearing things up, he's tearing things up with the Houston Rockets. Another pick that was supposed to be big and it didn't pan out for the Miami Heat in the long run. And then 2009, number two overall, Memphis Grizzlies take Hashim Thabit, who did not pan out in the NBA. And I'm bringing this up because I'm not saying that Thonmaker shouldn't be a lottery pick. I'm not saying he shouldn't be a first-round pick. I'm saying he should not be a top three pick. Well, I don't think he's top three. I never said that. I'm bringing it up because there have been talks and there have been um, comments on our videos where people have been saying where, oh, he's a top three pick. And the thing I think of is most teams, I ain't no team in the lottery, well, maybe after 13, maybe 14 on, teams will, that's when you start to think, okay, could we take Thon? Could we take him? Is he going to go 13, 14, 15? Probably not. He'll probably go 18 at the earliest, 18, 19, in my mind, depending on who finally, like, once the draft order's all set up. But to me, I think in the defense of him being a top three pick, because there are people who are saying he should be, I look at Greg Oden, Beasley, the beat, three guys who were in the top three didn't pan out. And I will say, if he goes top three, we will add Thonmaker's name to that list. I don't think he's going to go top three, but I, I mean, you also look at those guys you name. Greg Oden, his one leg was shorter than the other, and he had injury problems, so that's why it didn't pan out because he couldn't, t- you know, step on the court. Michael Beasley, I mean, you look at Beasley; he wasn't a fit in Miami, and he wasn't, and, you know, he had you know character issues there. He went over to China. Now he's working on those character issues, and now he finally realized the player he is, and he's playing phenomenally for the pheno- phenomenally for the Rockets this year. So I think that you know. Beasley has not, you know, he wasn't the star that he was supposed to be, but he's still a good player now. And then if you look at Tabit, well, Tabit didn't have a motor. Tabit didn't care. You know, Tabit can block shots, but, I mean, you can do, you, I mean, when you're that big, you can do that in college. I think maybe the better comparison would have been in that 2000, uh, 2007 draft, Yi Ji Lian. I mean, you look at him, the kid from China who was supposed to be the next Yao Ming, mm-hmm. he had the size. He didn't really have the body yet, and you know people picked him. At, I think he went six overall to the Bucks. I think you look at him and you're like, all right, well, we didn't know what this guy can do in the NBA. He's size, he's potential. He didn't pan out in the NBA mainly just because you know he really didn't have the talent. But I'm just saying, you know, this is a guy that we were just he's really you know we don't know what he can bring. Michael Be- Beasley, we knew what he can bring in college. We saw him in Kansas State. We saw Greg Oden in college. We saw what he can do in Ohio State. We saw what Tabit can do in college. He was you know pretty great. In- at Connecticut. The thing with Thon Maker is what can he do? I mean, Yi didn't pan out, but Yao Ming did pan out. You know, you didn't you you look at, I don't know, a player like Kevin Garnett. He was picked fifth in the ninety four draft. He panned out. There's guys before, like maybe a Kwame Brown. We didn't know what he can do in college. He didn't pan out. But there's guys before that have panned out. It's just more we gotta see him play. We gotta see him at the combine. What can this kid do? Because I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, and I'm not saying he's going to be a star, because I have no idea. 
I'm not ready to make that judgment. I can watch all mm-hmm. the high school games I can watch. I can watch all of the Nike Hoop Summit game I can watch. I can watch all of these drills. I can watch all of these mixtapes. But I you still never don't know. know. And I mean, that's the great thing about the draft is we can talk till we're blue in the face. You guys who are commenting could type until your fingers fall off. In the end, I could say something and Don Maker turns out to be the next Michael Jordan. And then I look back and go, well, fuck, I was wrong. Or you say, like, oh, Thon Maker's going to be a bust, and it ends up being true. And you're like, man, I was Nostradamus Ricky back then. It can go two ways. But the thing I think with Thon Maker, and this is what it comes down to no matter where you're going to draft Thon, is he, is he athletic? Can he run the floor? Does he have the high motor? Yes. Does he have a ton of potential? Yes. But is that potential going to be kind of utilized because I look at the negatives, needs to add strength, doesn't have a high basketball IQ, streaky shooter, and I think, you know what, maybe I can pass on this guy if I'm in the top 10, maybe even the top 15. I mean, you could work on shooting. You could work, you can, he can just go into the gym and shoot, and if you have a high motor, he's going to be able to work on that. He really, my biggest concern is the basketball IQ and how when people say he needs the Another thing from Draft but, Express when they would put up like eight when I see feel for the game kind of raises a red flag for me. Okay, but then you you, you go in and he's been working with college or high school coaches only. He hasn't gone to college. He hasn't been able to work with a guy like if he went to Kansas, he wasn't able to work he's with a guy work like with Bill Self. He wasn't able to work with a guy like Bill Self. He wasn't able to learn from a college coach. He wasn't able to go to you know Notre Dame and work with Mike Bray. Yeah, I'm a little biased. But, you know, if he goes to the NBA and he goes to, I don't know, 16 at for, for with the Boston Celtics, you're going to Brad Stevens. You know, you're going with a guy who knows how to work with young and talent. And that's another think, thing that's going to fall into Thon Maker's development. It's all about where he goes. And you were going to say that, I know what you're going to say, Brad Stevens is amazing. He knows how to work with young talent. But the thing that with Thon Maker that we talked about when we were talking about where he would project. Mm-hmm is one of the things that some of the executives and scouts have said is what's his mental makeup going to be? And when it comes to that and the coaching, college coaches with Thon Maker, how great he's, our high school coaches with how great he's been, everyone's been telling him, you're great, keep doing what you're doing. An NBA coach, like if he gets matched up with a Thibodeau or a Pop, they won't be afraid to say, hey, kid, you're not doing this right. And it'll be interesting to see that when he gets to that next level, if he's going to be a guy that is accepting of criticism and says, okay, I got to work on this and does it, or if he's a guy that says, no, you're fucking wrong. I've been told I've been great my whole life. Because, you know, it goes both ways, and some of the people that don't pan out are the ones that fall into number two. But you also heard that he's had great character. He has a great personality. You know, So obviously I think that has proven that what you just said is kind of wrong. I'm just saying it, I don't, we don't know which way it's going to I, go I when he gets to I, the NBA. I agree. And we, I'm not ready to make that. Like I can make all the judgments I want after watching his film and where he can go. I am not ready to make a judgment on this kid's character. I I agree that we don't know how he's going to pan out, but I agree if he gets the right coach, he's got to go. He, he's he can the develop. type of guy that needs to go to the perfect system. 
Uh, I would agree. I would agree with that. Uh, anyways, we'll look at the final. We'll look at. We'll wrap this up with what picks do you like? What picks do you not don't like? Give me one pick you like and one pick you don't like. Uh, because you know we we got thirty picks here. We didn't talk about. We, we talked about two four of them. So one pick I I like, and this is going to be surprising because it's the Grizzlies, but I like. It's a bonus. I like you, Sabone. You like him because you saw him. Well, and, <laughs> well, we did. I am a little biased because we got to see Sabonis live at the UC. But the way I see it is the Grizzlies need some bigs. And they have seen this year where it's like, you know what? Maybe if Gasol's out, we need someone to come in. And Sabonis can be kind of a, a – he can be – he's not that like great athlete like we talk about with Don Maker with the athleticism. But he can come in and be serviceable for the Grizzlies, who really, to me, the Grizzlies need anything. They need anything. They mm-hmm. need healthy bodies at this point. A pick that I don't like, Josh Hart to the Spurs at 29. Because the way I see this is, this is basically Chad Ford going, oh, hey, Villanova won the championship. Let me throw one of their players in there. Well, literally what he said, he said Hart played terrifically in the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, he's basically mm-hmm. really basing it off the tournament. I think I agree with, you know, Josh Hart going in the first round, uh, that it's that's a bad pick. I'd go with a Malcolm Brogdon over a Hart if I, I was the Spurs. The one question I have is why isn't Ben Bentel in the first round? I, I look at Ben Bentel and I say this kid is going to be fantastic mm-hmm. in the NBA. I mean, 20 late, he can be a fantastic steal. I look at him, he's improved, he improved from his freshman to sophomore year. He was fantastic with Chris Dunn. He was fantastic from, you know, he, he wasn't fantastic from deep, but he shot 35% from deep. So he improved his game, and even you look at his field goal percentage, that was great. He didn't grab, I think he grabbed Mm -hmm. seven plus rebounds. I think he averaged a block a game. I think that he can do everything well. He's a big body. He's pretty fast. I I just really like Ben Bedsall, and I'm really shocked they didn't have him in the first round. And I think the reason he may not be in this mock draft is, it's weird, because as a mock drafter, how do you go with the new rule in the NBA, where college kids can say, hey, I declare for the draft, then it gives them the opportunity to like, okay, I declared for the draft, I can talk to NBA teams. Then when the lottery happens, now they can go, you know what, I don't like that, I'm going to go back to school. So they have an option to declare right now, then after the lottery, they can say, you know what, I don't like it, I'm going back. So right now as a mock drafter, because right now, Bentel's in the testing the waters category where we don't know if he's going to stay or if he's going to go. As a mock drafter, do you say, well, he's technically declared I'm going to put him in? Or do you say, you know what, he may just end up staying in school, so I'm going to leave him out? As a mock drafter, you put the you put the best kids or you pick the right fits into your mock if draft. declared. What? Yeah, okay. and he declared. Ben Bentel declared. So, I mean, you got to go with him. I mean— I was putting in Grayson Allen. I was putting mm-hmm. in Thomas Bryant. And then they, they went back to school. They pulled out. So, I mean, it's really, you know, you got to go with what you know, and you got to go with what, with what's current. Mm-hmm. Ben Bento, currently going. Thon Maker wasn't in my last mock draft because he didn't declare yet. He would have been in my, my, my last mock draft because he, you know, he didn't declare. He didn't, he didn't he declare about that. He wasn't eligible because the NBA exactly. was still waiting around. So now it's just more like why, you know, uh, you got to put the guys in, and why isn't Ben Bentel in there? Because I mm-hmm. think he's fantastic. I think he's going to be fantastic in the NBA. I mean, I look at him, and I think you know he's better than G- uh, Jonathan Gian, who goes who goes to the Hawks in this situation. I think he's better than DeAndre Bembry. He's going to the, the Clippers. I know they don't really need a power forward there. Yeah. 
I think he's you can you know with Don Maker going up, you can knock out you he can go to the Sixers at twenty six. Sheik Dallo shouldn't be going to the Toronto Raptors at twenty seven. Mm-hmm. You could put Ben Bento there. I mean, uh, I, I just look at all these guys. Josh Hart, uh, Steven Zimmerman. I think he should be in the first round, but I, I mean, you, I would take Ben Bento over him. I just think Ben Bento should be in the first round, and I, I dislike that he's not in there. But looking at the pick that I do like. I th- really like the third overall pick. I like Jamal Murray going to the Boston Celtics because I think any team that's going to pick Murray is going to get a fantastic player. In my next mock draft, I don't have the Celtics going with a guard because I don't really think they need a guard mm-hmm. early. I think they can wait and get a better... you know, Because uh, this one is kind of... Well, it changed. Before it was the Suns were three. Yeah. They take Bender. Well, this time you got the decision where it's like, ooh, the Celtics this time can debate, do we need Murray or can we go with Bender? Well, I look at the Celtics and I say, you don't have an elite big man. You Mm -hmm. don't have a guy who can change the game down low. You have Selinger, you have Olenek, you have guys who are good. You you don't have... You have a platoon. Yeah, you guys, you don't have anyone great. And I look at Bender and I'm saying, this guy can make you guys great. And you guys are looking for a star, he can make you great. I think Boston might end up trading this pick anyways, but that's a different story. I think that if you're going to be in that situation, you already have a guard in Bradley and you have a Mm -hmm. guard in Isaiah Thomas, you go bender and you go big and you get a guy down low who can actually win a game for you. But, I mean, you look at Jamal Murray, I still think he's going to be a fantastic player in the NBA. And if you're going to pick Jamal Murray, you're not going to really going to go wrong because he's a 19-year-old, mm-hmm. he's got a ton of potential, and he can pl- he's a guy who can play like uh, you know Kobe who can play for 20 years. I mean, this guy is fantastic. I'm not going to say he's going to be as great as Kobe, but he can play. He's going to score 60 points in his final farewell <laughs> game after 18, 20 years in the league. Yeah, and I think, I think it's more of... Chad Ford really didn't want to trade mm-hmm. that Bender pick. I, I don't think he really wanted to, you know, change up his mock draft yeah. where the, the Suns weren't picking Bender. Be bold, Chad. Be bold. Have the Celtics <laughs> going with Bender. But anyways, uh, we're going to move on to Kobe Bryant. Tell us d- down below who you think your team should draft in their draft lottery position because we do have the lottery position set. We have the percentages set. So let us know, is your team going to have a chance at the number one overall pick? Would you take Simmons? Would you take Ingram? Who would you take at that pick? But now we're going to move over to Kobe Bryant. You know, careers begin, Ricky, mm-hmm. and careers end. We're talking about guys' careers who are just beginning, and we're talking about Kobe Bryant, whose career just ended. And what a way to go out, Ricky. 60 points in your final game in front of your hometown crowd. Kobe put on a show. And I'm not going to try to brag here, but I think right when that announcement was made, I went on a, mm-hmm. a, a local radio show here, and I said, I think Kobe's going to drop 50, but he's also going to shoot 50 shots, and he's going to be like, people are like, look, wow, he shot, he made, you know, he, he yeah. had 50 points, but he shot terribly. He didn't shoot terribly. He shot 44% oh, from the it, field. It looked like, especially at the end, it was the oh, that's the Vince. last two shots he took, mm-hmm. the kind of fadeaway from the elbow extended, the fadeaway from three, which I was... As they showed the replay, I was like, was his foot on the line? Please don't review it. His foot was on the line. But it was vintage Kobe. And it's I watching that game, I'll be honest, I didn't see any of the 73 win. No, neither did no. not see any I of couldn't, it. I didn't care. Like, I flipped back like when it was 120 to 100 and said, okay, I can watch Kobe for the rest. That's I, all I, I didn't. was I was like, okay, well, if it's close, I want to see my Grizzlies like fill my per, my prophecy that's mm-hmm. why i called them my grizzlies but yeah this game was this game should have been on espn i know the record is the record but this is kobe this Bryant. is kobe and espn should have did the same respect that jeff fisher did for kobe i think that uh also i think i think uh skip was wrong because he said 
Kobe would end up at 35. It was uh, 25. Woody Page. Woody Page. Woody Page. Yeah. But I think, I think he, he meant 20, skip in there. I think he meant 25, you not sure? 35. Because he said 35 on around the horn. Oh, uh, then I think I think he was wrong. I think okay. he. I think Tony Reilly probably should have gave him some errors that he usually gives on PTI. <laughs> but I'm looking at that Kobe game, and it was a show. And I mean, I didn't watch the Warriors at all because I was mm-hmm. like, all right, fourth quarter because we just got done recording. I yep. got home. And I'm like, all right, fourth quarter. Let's see what Kobe's doing. Oh wow, Kobe has 40. Oh wow. Bang, 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 bang. And he's just mm-hmm. getting up there and up there. And like you said, that was vintage Mamba in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. That was insane what he was doing. I mean, he shot 44% from the field. The three-point percentage was pretty rough. I mean, 28%, 6 for 21. Oh, come that's, on. It's his last That's game. pretty brutal. But, I mean, still, the show and the, the, the fact that Kobe Bryant went out and put on a show was fantastic to watch, fantastic to see. And there's no better, there's no better way to go out. There, that's the best way you can go out. Of your career, that's the best way. Or that's the only way you want Kobe going out, and I think it's fantastic seeing the start of Kobe in LA and just finishing in LA. The whole story, you know, we obviously saw his downs, we saw mm-hmm. his highs, um, but I mean, watching well, Kobe really play has been fantastic. The thing for Kobe, I'm going to ask a question. It's probably going to make me feel very old. But <laughs> what year were you born in again? 1997. So you were born the year after Kobe was drafted. He was drafted in 1996. Yeah. So me and you have a very different frame of reference mm-hmm. from Kobe because I'll take you guys back. I'm born in 1990. So I was born, it was boom. I was born, and then the year after, one year old, Bulls started winning championships. So to me— Were you the good luck charm? Well, I'm not saying that, but <laughs> to me, the first three championships, I don't really remember them because I was mm-hmm. one, two, and three— Whereas the second three, Pete, I remember vividly because I was six, seven, and eight years old at the time. To me, especially when I was six, and that was like the first time I was really getting in to, I was into basketball when I was four. Remember Jordan going over to baseball, and then when he came back in 96, that was like full throttle. I'm a basketball fan. I messed up my knee when I was a kid because there was I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a personal story. No, Sean's shaking his head, but I'm gonna tell it. I was in my room and I had a little tight uh, basketball hoop, and I had a chair, and the back of the chair had like three slits in it, mm-hmm. and I put one leg on the chair and one leg out like Jordan and Space Jam, and I'm like stretching for the hoop trying to extend my arm while my foot slipped. And I had then three slits right on my knee, and I couldn't walk for like a month. Oh, my God. Yeah, Messed up my knee really bad. But that's like, I was really into basketball. The thing with Kobe, I'm getting to the point right now. Thank you. I got to see his, <laughs> I got to see his entire career yeah. from when I was six years old all the way until now sitting here, a 26-year-old man-child. And it's weird to say this because, you know, I, I, was, I was little when Kobe was, you know, mm-hmm. it, when it was Froby, I was little. I saw, I saw you know. 81 was like the the first real memory I had of Kobe. But my favorite memory was probably that last game. I mean, that's Kobe's career encompassed. I know I know there's better moments. I know there's mm-hmm. 81 points. I know there's the lob to Shaq in the finals. There's a lot better, you know, there's there's better Kobe moments, but that just kind of is the best way to go out as an NBA legend. It was the best way legend. for Kobe to go out. Really anyone. I mean, if you Jordan didn't go out that way, you know, you look well, at Jordan also came back and like the thing with Jordan That's was, the thing. That's my he, Jordan. I'd have Wizards yeah, Jordan he kinda, jersey. He kind of... Jordan kind of pulled a Brett Favre. <laughs> yeah. He, he kind of pulled a Brett Favre, whereas Kobe was able... Like, 
Kobe went out the same way Derek Jeter went out. Oh, exactly. Derek I, Jeter went out, and I, I know people bitched, and I know the whole talk before, like the midday before the last game was, oh, well, you know what? We're exhausted hearing about Kobe's retirement, Kobe's mm-hmm. retirement. But it was it was culminated at the end. He killed with it. With a great performance. Oh, my God, and yeah. Just like every time they go down the floor, just D'Angelo Russell or um, Larry Nance just giving the ball to Kobe. Feed the ball to Kobe. Just let him shoot. Like, it was his night. It was his night to do whatever he wanted. The only time he didn't play was I think he sat out half of the second quarter. That was it. Yeah. Uh, he played uh, 42 minutes. So, I mean, he sat out six mm-hmm. minutes. Kobe put on a show. It was fantastic to watch. It's fantastic to see his career just end in such a glorious way. It was cool seeing him and Shaq on the court together. And also Shaq on NBA TNT, I think it was like two weeks before this, mm-hmm. he was like, you're going to put up 50? And Kobe's like, no, nah, man, I can't do that anymore. He put up 60. That's that's the guy Kobe is. So Kobe one-upped you. Yeah, he'll one-up you. He's still uh, one-up in Shaq. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's great to see Kobe you know, go out in a high note. And I think the Derek Jeter thing is absolutely perfect. D- Jeter's last bat at Yankee Stadium, walk-off single. Mm-hmm. Kobe's last game in the Staples Center, 60 points. I mean, that's what you want from Kobe Bryant. You want a show. You want a great performance. And, I mean, I, I couldn't wish for anything more. And, I mean, Kobe is going to be seen as a legend and I mean, I don't know where he really stands in my my mm-hmm. all time greats or even all time guards, but I think he he he's definitely up there in you know best mo- mo- most exciting players. Let's say that he might not be the greatest of all time, but well, he might be one of the most exciting players of all time. I'm gonna go back to that Jeter comparison that we mm-hmm. did because both of these players had a similar hatred around them. Where well, Jeter, you yeah. didn't hate Jeter, you hated what he wore. You mm-hmm. hate the Yankees. Like, you either love or you hate the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And Kobe, he embraced that. Like, Kobe, like, I want to say it was either in his press conference or the interview that he had after the game. They asked him about it, and he said, you know what? If someone early would have, like, embraced me and said, hey, man, I really like what you're doing. He's like, that would have killed me. He's he really like when you said and there was they have a Nike commercial which is great if you haven't seen it you got to check it out where he's like the conductor and people are singing about how they've hated him for so long he really embraced that with mm-hmm. Kobe it was more of you hate Kobe and I'll admit when LeBron was with the Cavaliers early on it was Dave was a Kobe fan I was a LeBron fan and I hated Kobe I loved <laughs> LeBron. That whole year when That's they were going to meet, changed, yeah. when they were going to meet in the finals, uh-huh. I was like, you know what, LeBron's going to smoke Kobe. LeBron didn't even get there. Kobe won the ring, <laughs> but or that might have been the year he lost to Boston. I don't even know anymore. But now it's changed. Hate LeBron because he left and was a little bitch. Kobe's the best. And there's only one. I'm going to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. You're Kobe Bryant. You're Derek Jeter. Would you rather go off? In the way they did, Jeter hits the game-winning walk-off, Kobe scores 60 in a meaningless game, or would you rather have the, I know Michael Jordan came back and Mm -hmm. played for the Wizards, but your last memory is that main player hitting the game-winning shot to win the title. Um, well, I I would say you know it's it's hard to do what Peyton Manning did, Mm -hmm. and hard to do what you know. You could that's right. You could throw Peyton. It's it's hard to do that. 
But I think, you know, both of those teams sucked. I mean, the, the Yankees in that last Jeter year mm-hmm. and the, the, the Lakers this year, they sucked. But the thing is, these guys are legends. And you, you don't believe that. You know, guys, last bat, this is stuff in a movie. You know, last at bat, last game, you know, what is he going to do? You know, he's, he's struggling. He's, you know, Kobe started struggling in the first game. And then he turns it on. Then he shows why he's a legend. That's the best way to go off because people are going to remember, oh, what did Kobe do in his last game? 60 points. And then people have these memories. Twitter was blowing up. Kobe mm-hmm. hit a three. Kobe brought it down the court, went to the right side, fadeaway jump shot, got it. Then he went to the line and he hit 60 and the place erupted. And then the th- thing with Jeter, dad, how good was Jeter? Oh, uh, well, you know, Jeter, 3,000 hits, fantastic. Captain Clutch, great defensive player. But his last at bat, it's something out of a storybook. He comes up, runners on second, and he shoots one to right field. And the guy runs home, scores, and it's this big thing. Great call. And the place just goes, the place erupts. It's what these players are meant to do. They're supposed to get these fans excited. They're supposed to get these fans mm-hmm. you know, in the seats. And that's what they did. Jeter got these fans crazy. Jeter got these fans emotional. Kobe did the same exact thing. And that's, that's what you want from your legends. That's what you want from these guys. You don't want to remember Jordan on the Wizards or Favre on the Vikings, you know, getting sacked by Corey Wooten and going down. You want them to, you want to remember them in a great light. Whether, you know, it's hard to do what Peyton Manning did is what I'm trying to say. Or so, John Elway. Or John Elway. It, you want them to do what they do. They, you want them to do what they do. You want Kobe to go off and score a ton of points. You want Jeter to be clutch. You don't want to see Jordan limping in a Wizards uniform. You want to see him on the Bulls hitting that game winner. I mean, it, it's hard to say that it, it, it's a better. there's a better way to go out than the way Kobe did. Well, and the other thing I'm thinking of is, first off, what you were saying kind of brought me back to it's exactly the kind of moments that you think about. I just flashed back while you were talking to me in my backyard, basketball yeah. hoop. You're sitting there. You're, like, dribbling the ball around. Then all of a sudden you go, five, four, oh, step back, three, two. Can he shake it? The shot goes off. And oh, if, he makes it. But I really missed it. And I'm like, do over, do over. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta the do foot it. goes through the, the chair and he breaks his yeah. kneecap or whatever you did. No, this was, like, actually yeah. outside. But Oh, yeah, no, I did. It's I, like, and then you miss. You go, no, 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 no do over, do well, over. It's like it's even doing it, like, in a yeah. garbage can. Like, oh, three, two, and then you yep. do the fadeaway jumper, and then you miss. And you're like, oh, no, give me, give me it again. I got it. But that's, <laughs> it's, that's the thing, and I think uh, Jeter's the perfect comparison to Kobe. Oh, just because of oh, how, without they, a went, doubt, without how a doubt. they went out, and it's all about the moments that they had. Where, like, with Jeter, you think of a routine grounder, and he makes a spectacular turning his body kind of a throw that only Jeter could do. Or you think of the ALDS throw coming in from the outfield, mm-hmm. and just the instincts to just take it and flip it back to the catcher to swing past and tag out Giambi at the plate. Whereas Kobe, you have those same moments. The alley-oop to Shaq, the one, the picture that everyone's going to remember of him after the one of the championships where he has the ball in his right hand, mm-hmm. arms extended, hat out in front of the crowd. It's all of these just moments that you have for both of these teams. And the thing that makes it even better for Kobe is he's got one level on top of it. He grew up a diehard Laker fan, then was able to get traded from the Hornets to the Lakers on draft day. Great movie, by the way. No. On draft day. No. I say that just because I know you hate it, but being able to be traded and play 
a 20-year career at the highest level for your favorite team. Yeah, I mean, it's a storybook. That's what it is. Kobe Bryant's career was a storybook outside of the allegations, outside of the off-the-court stuff. Well, on the court, we don't, don't well, even I'm, bring it up, man. I'm, I'm just saying, on the court, yeah. he was a legend. You can't say you know he had the perfect career because obviously he had he had his own struggles, and you know he had he had his own adversities that he had to face. He had he had things that he had to go up against. But he, on and, the court, he was fantastic. And that you, now that you brought that up, I will say what I was thinking, and I wasn't going to say it up because I wasn't even going to mention it. But the one thing that was great seeing at that last game was first off a moment between Kobe and his youngest daughter where he comes over to the side and he kind of puts his fists out and they fist bump and go and kind of move their hands back and just the like little hand. It was like you could see that's their handshake. That's their thing. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, what the Lakers did, putting 24 and 8 on the court, putting both numbers on the court. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking at it, Kobe's a legend. There's not much more to say. And now we're going to move on to the our final topic here, coaching vacancies for the NBA. And I'm looking at the list here, and there's probably going to be more, you know, more, uh, how would I say this, more... Uh, vacancies, more, more vacancies. I was going to try to do something more darker, like more uh, more names on the list, uh, but I'm looking at another it. Another one bites the dust. I'm oh, looking at another it. another one gone, and another one gone. I'm looking at it, and uh, Minnesota's currently vacant. You got Sacramento, who's currently vacant, who coached, uh, fired George Carl, mm-hmm. and you got the Wizards, who are vacant. What is the most attractive job opening out of those three? Because you know we also don't know who else is going to go. Because Byron Scott says he's he's, uh, he's he thinks he's safe. He's going to get shit canned. Yeah. Um, yeah. The King. I will say this. I don't know which one looks the most appeasing. I'll tell you which one doesn't look the most appeasing. Mm-hmm. Sacramento. Yeah. I don't want to go there. They're kind of like the Cleveland Browns of the NBA. What is it? Nine coaches in as many years for them or something ridiculous like like within like some short time span they've had the most coaching changes in the NBA. They are the mm-hmm. Cleveland Browns of the NBA. So me as a coach, especially if I'm a coach Thibodeau because the thing you got to like you got to think of if you're going after Thibodeau Job security is going to be big for him mm-hmm. because he was a guy made it to the playoffs with the Bulls consistently and got shit canned for making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They, like, yeah. come on, man. I mean, this is a team that there is no security. And the thing I see with the Kings is there is no loyalty either. They'll hire you and then fire you. They will chud you if you don't do well enough. And I get it. Opening a new stadium. Got to get butts in the seats however coaches are going to look and go eh no no you're just backstabbing fools and i'm not going to go there Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i look at i look at the three that we talked about that we know are going to be vacant i think it's minnesota easy Mm -hmm. because of that young core you got wiggins you got carl anthony towns you got a top five draft pick you got levine you got ricky rubio if he stays so i think i think the timberwolves is the most appealing but really the the big question is i I think and i agree completely with sacramento so i'm not even going to touch it i mean the Wizards look good because you got Wall and you got a star to build around, but outside of that, you need some help there. But if you look at the Kings there, the Kings are a shit show. Minnesota looks the most appealing, but now it's oh, really... Oh, because of all the young talent. Yeah, but now it's really, is Houston going to keep Bickerstaff because he he got him to the playoffs. Uh, Brooklyn's most likely going to fire Tony Brown, so Brooklyn's going to be open. Phoenix most likely will be open after Earl Watson, mm-hmm. the interim coach, gets canned. And then really the Knicks. is Are the Knicks going to go with Kurt Rambis, or are they going to try to go out and get someone new? 
the thing I look at is who is going to be leaving or who's going to be, you know, take that interim tag off and get rid of them and who's going to keep the get that interim tag taken off and then made an official head coach. And then what assistant's going to leave? Because I think the big name out there is Luke Walton and Luke Walton did phenomenal, you know, getting the Warriors to a 24 and 0 start. And really, you know, what team is going to make the best pitch to get Luke Walton and I think the Lakers, the smart thing to do, you got a guy who knows L.A., you got a guy who's been there before, you fire Byron Scott, you got a young talent, you got a ton of young talent in L.A., you bring in Luke Walton, see mm-hmm. what he can do. I think that's the best option there, best fit for anyone out there. Um, but I think that you look at Thibodeau, it's going to be a hard spot to find him, even though he's made the playoffs, because there's been the stuff with the Bulls where you know he overworks his players, He's he's... He's very hesitant to change. You know, he he's got his own system and it's worked well before, but he really hasn't proved that he can win a championship. The thing with the Kings I look at is, yeah, he might be able to win win over Boogie, but is are, like is Vivek going to even be able to help him? The Wizards, you have John Wall, and I think that might be actually the best place for him because you know you have John Wall who is a great worker, mm-hmm. and you have a GM who seems somewhat confident, competent. Uh, so to build a team, so I look at the war, the Wizards, and I think, all right, maybe the Warriors, is, Wizards are the best chance for you to develop because the East is pretty weak, and you have a chance to jump in there. And you know, Washington's still a a, a a a city that will back you up, a city that will go to the games and still support you if you're doing well. So I think that the Wizards might be the best place for Tom Thibodeau because I look at the Rockets. I don't. I don't think James Harden's the worker that you want in mm-hmm. in Houston. I know he'll play the minutes you want, but I don't think he's the guy that you want. John Wall's fantastic on defense. He's fantastic on offense. You know, James Harden's the, one of the best offensive players, but he can't play defense. So I think I think looking at the the players that are already in place, I think that Tom Thibodeau would probably fit best for the Washington Wizards. Yeah, and I mean the thing is with Thibodeau is defense. Mm-hmm. That's what he harps on, and the offense may go. A little stagnant. Look at what the Bulls did, firing him and trying to bring in a coach that was strictly offense. And somehow made the team worse at offense. But I'm going to bring something up that I was looking at, and I almost like stopped you mid-sentence because I thought it was breaking news. And mm-hmm. basically, it's the Inquisitor.com being little assholes. And the way I say that is, here's how they title the article. NBA Rumors, Sacramento Kings Hiring Patrick Ewing as Head Coach. And I saw that, and I went, holy shit, it's from 15 hours ago. The Kings have hired, like, Patrick Ewing? We, we got to talk about this. No. No, it's them saying that Ewing could be an option at the head coach position for the Kings. But really, to me, it comes down to three coaches you're watching if your team needs a head coach. Thibodeau, who we talked about, the defensive mastermind. Luke Walton, who did great things for the Warriors this year when Steve Kerr had to step away. Mm-hmm. And former Thunder coach Scotty Brooks, those are the top three. I disagree completely with Scott Brooks. Uh, there are teams completely I mean, disagree. He wasn't like he wasn't a terrible coach when he was with the Thunder, and he's okay. going more of the it's, Thibodeau route, where it's like take a year off, come no. back. I mean, I I look at it and I say the the most intriguing coaches are Tom Thibodeau, Luke Walton, and David Blatt. David Blatt. Proved that you know he well he hasn't been able to prove anything because mm-hmm. you have LeBron James on your team. David Blatt would be an interesting one for the Timberwolves. David Blatt would be interesting, because, but I don't think they're actually interested in well, him. And from reports that have come out, the thing that the reason why he would work 
well to me with the Timberwolves is because— There's not a lot of personality. Well, not that, but what was he brought in to— what was he brought into Cleveland to do? Work with work Kyrie. with young talent. Yeah, yeah. Work with young talent, and then they traded all the young talent away. Well, the Timberwolves have young talent. That's what they have. They have young talent, and David Black can work with that. If I'm the Timberwolves, I'll tell you one coach I don't want: Thibodeau, because he doesn't play rookies. Yeah. So you're going to get young talent. Thibodeau's not going to play him. But Thibodeau also never had a player like you know a possible like stud, and you know he he never had a guy who was like. A top five pick. He never had because the Bulls were never that bad. He had Derek fucking Rose, but Derek Rose wasn't a fucking rookie he had when he Joe took over. Joe Noah, who was the, a top ten pick, and we couldn't do fucking anything. But weren't rookies when he fucking took over? That's like saying Andrew Wiggins is a rookie. Like you know, he, these guys have had been playing for a while. Mm-hmm. D Rose was what three years in. Joe Kim Noah was I uh, no Joe Joe was three years in, and then Rose was two years in. So he had guys who have already played before and developed. Who I mean, D Rose was close to being the MVP. I, you know, he was he was nearing the MVP season. So I think you know that's a different comparison than saying a top five pick. He never had a guy. I think they, the lowest pick they had was fifteen. The thing with the and okay, I'll take that. But the thing with the Timberwolves is, what pick are you going to have this year? Right now, five. what pick do they have? Five, unless things change. You're going to bring in a guy where you'll draft, let's say, Buddy Heal, because I love him. You bring in Buddy <laughs> Heal, and then what? Thibodeau's not going to play him. Like, why would you? Like, well, you don't have a you don't have a benchmark that's would, saying that he, he's not going to play him. Why would you bring in a coach that your number five and, pick this year is not going to? But play? also, the thing with Buddy Heald is he can't play defense, so then he might not be playing with Thibodeau because he can't play defense. So that might be the thing there with Buddy Heald is they might not go Buddy Heald if they take Tom Thibodeau. I think you know you take if you take Thibodeau. Uh, Window the Timberwolves. I think that's just the wrong pick there. You got to go. You got to go da- more of the David some, Blatt style. Yeah, yeah. you got to go somewhere where the, there's developed players because Thibodeau has his mindset already. If you go with a younger coach like a Luke Walton or a guy who, who who has his idea in mind but is willing to change it because of the talent around him, that is going to be your perfect fit there. I think it's hard to put in Tom Thibodeau, who's a veteran coach who has a, a way that has worked before, and be like, all right, this is what we're running and this is what you're doing, and you you know you don't have an option here. Mm-hmm. Luke Walton, you know, this guy is you know finding his finding his way as a head coach. So it's hard to be like, all right, well, you know, this is what we're doing because it worked with the Warriors. Well, you're not using the Golden State Warriors here. You're using a different team, a different plethora of players. Where Thibodeau, it's like, all right, I'm going to plug and play. I mean, th- this isn't like a guy who's going to be like, all right, we're going to work around these players. Well, and another thing that is interesting, and Luke Walton is Luke Walton's the like main one, but I'm looking at an article that. I looked at last week before we recorded where ESPN said six head coaching candidates to watch this summer and they're all assistants. They're all of them. And the ones, here's the ones that they list. They've got Nate Tiblets, the assistant coach with the trailblazers. Mm-hmm. They then go at Nick nurse Raptors, assistant coach, mm-hmm. Chris Finch rockets, assistant coach, Steven Silas, the Hornets assistant coach and Sean Sweeney, with the Bucks, I'm going to throw in one more on top of him because I think he's a name that people could look at, even though I don't know how he'd be as a head coach. Sam Cassell, who's with the Wizards. Is there a team that maybe goes and maybe write what you were saying? Get a guy who doesn't have his philosophy in place right away like a Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. Does a team go with an assistant coach and says, hey, you're going to be our new head coach? I, I think they're going to go with someone who either has been a head coach before but hasn't really had 
uh, not maybe a lot of the, mm-hmm. the, the, I think David Blatt would probably be the, the one head coach they would go with and be like, all right, that's it. Because Blatt is going to bring in his own style, but he's willing to work around it because obviously he was willing yeah. to work around it in Cleveland. The one well, thing he just that got I, pushed out of town by Baby Brown, Brown. Yeah, the one thing I do want to yell at you for is mentioning that Scott Brooks is, Brooks is a good head coach because when he was on the Thunder, his plan was, all right, we got Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. All right, uh, we'll give the ball to them, and if not, make them shoot it with four seconds left. Like that—that that was his offense. All right, is—is is KD open? Nope. They got—they got, the, got to the finals with James Harden. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the Alexander <laughs> Ovechkin like uh, mindset. Get him the puck. My, mindset with the Washington Capitals. It's like, all right, is Ovi open for? Uh, nope. Open is Ovi open on the the po- uh, power play? Yes. Did he miss? Yes. Give it back to him. It's like, all right, is KD open? No. Is Russ open? No. Give it to KD. Is he open? No. Is Russ open? No. And then just you know. KD's going to shoot it or Wasp is going to shoot it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, he doesn't have a true offense. Where David Blatt, he didn't get the chance to do that because, you know, LeBron's there and you have Kyrie there and you have Kevin Love there and you really have to work on, are these guys going to mesh rather than, all right, let's do what we had? Because you can't say, like, oh, well, Scott Brooks had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. He had those guys for for a long time. He wasn't brought in. He was brought in in 2007 when they're still the Supersonics. So, I mean, he didn't have the chance to implement. He had a chance to implement his offense. He just was like, all right, well, we have two of the best players in the league, so let's just give him the ball. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, there was no offense there. It was, it was, let's run KD and KD and Westbrook. I'm going to take your job and I'm going to ask you a question what to you ask close me? out the podcast unless you have anything else to add. No, I'm good. Any vacancies that open up that are not open yet? Um... I would say Houston's going to open up. I think they don't want to go with Bickerstaff, even though he's done a phenomenal job getting them to the playoffs. I think that um, I th- I, I, look, I, it's mostly going to be inter- interims. Uh, well, Los Angeles. Los Angeles will probably be alone because they haven't fired him yet. Mm-hmm. But they're going to fire fucking Byron Scott. Is there a playoff a team, joke. though, that maybe um, fires their coach? Like- I don't really see a playoff team firing their head coach. I mean, it, I mean, you 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 heard rumors that Vogel might get fired, but I mean, he well, just Vogel won- should have been fired after they lost to the Heat in the first round years ago. I think Vogel's a good coach. I I don't think he's he's that. I don't think he's the problem there in the, in the Pacers. They don't have a big man. I, Jordan Hill's their their starting center for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> I think if the coach is gonna go go, I think it's gonna be Alvin Gentry from New Orleans Pelicans. I just mm-hmm. I don't think he's a good head coach at all. He's never proven himself outside of the one Phoenix where he had uh, like Steve Nash running, running the helm or the I, Bulls. Yeah, do, do they chud Hoiberg? They're not gonna do that because of money reasons. And you you got to give him a chance because. I was mostly saying that out of just mm-hmm. just annoyance because I, I said that before that oh yeah they're gonna fire Fred Hoiberg logistically logistically they can't do it and also you know give them a year with these players give them a year with you know getting rid of Hoy, uh, Thibodeau's players and get Hoiberg's guys in there and see what they can do so I mean give him a give him a chance and see what Freddie can do because I don't know if Freddie what Freddie can do so I don't know just just let the Bulls suck for one year I I I don't like him as a coach but we'll see what happens and one last thing I want to mention before I let you do your thing is uh, mm-hmm. interesting news out of New York we talked about Kurt Rambis maybe being the head coach of the future check that out down below however Kamala Anthony this week said uh, he wants Coach Thibs as the coach of the Knickerbockers yeah uh, well I don't know. Fuck it. I, I, I don't fucking care. Carmelo likes to run his damn mouth. Like, Carmelo's like, well, my window's closing. Get Thibodeau in. We should trade for a big man. I'm not happy in New York. Melo's hot and cold. Do you want, I mean, in Melo, I don't know if he's really in the place to be talking that much because, Carmelo, what have you done recently? I mean, Carmelo, you might still be a great player, but we haven't seen it. 
I mean, I have no idea. Camarillo, you can say that you want that head coach, and maybe it will change, but you've wanted a head coach before in D'Antoni, so maybe that will change too. I mean, I, I look at him, and he's just been worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse every single season, and I don't know if Melo can still be that star, and I don't know if Melo should really be running his mouth. That's my thoughts on Carmelo Anthony. So uh, maybe I'm a little salty because then it comes to the Bulls. Anyways, thank you for listening, everyone. That's going to wrap up this Fast Break Podcast. For Ricky Wibner, I am Sean Anderson. And uh, if you're listening on SoundCloud, hit that little red like button and repost this to all your friends. Thank you so much for supporting us on SoundCloud. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe to our channel. And if you love us so much, please share this video out and get it all to your followers on Twitter and on Facebook and on Snapchat. And speaking of Snapchat, we are now on Snapchat at Most Valuable Pod. See all the behind-the-scenes action of MVP Network. Get updates on when videos are going to be posted, when podcasts are going to be posted, because we're you know we're we're up to date, we're lively, but we just need friends on Snapchat. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod. I am Sean Anderson. I am on Twitter at Schwarbo, and Ricky is on Twitter at Ricky Widmer. But anyways, that's going to wrap up this fast break podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.